Greetings and welcome to the TAMS Percussion Podcast. Don't forget to support us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Pocket Cast, and Anchor. Also, check out our Patreon and PayPal. For questions, comments, or suggestions, reach us at tamspercussion at gmail.com or on Instagram at tamsperkpodcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the TAMS Percussion Podcast. We're here on episode 15, and we are here with the host of the Rudimental Podcast, Josh Hartwell. Yeah, I'm, I'm a guy. I'm Good to be Ooh. here. Ah, oh, you're good. You're good. We'll go with it. <laughs> yeah. So, cool. Thanks for having. Thanks for jumping on here. Let's go ahead and let's just introduce yourself, Josh. Who are Who are you? What do you do? What's your what's Uh, well, I am um sort of a podcaster, I guess. I don't know. I just do it for fun. It's it's a lot of fun, and I try to be as consistent with it as I can. But um, full time, I'm an educator uh i i'm a full-time percussion director uh at a 5a high school here in texas um down in the houston area and uh i I do a bit of bit of gigging a lot of drum set um and you know pretty much anything i can get but uh i have i'm also a part of my percussion group uh we're called momentum percussion group we do a lot of educational projects um and a, a lot of video, audio, video uh, kind of projects like that. So, um, yeah, you know, I just uh, kind of been all over the place. I grew up in the Houston area, but um, I did my undergrad music ed uh, at McNeese State University in Lake Charles, Louisiana, under Dr. Lonnie Benoit, and then uh, hopped over to Las Vegas right after that uh, for my master's in performance uh at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, under Dr. Dean Gronemeyer, comma JD, comma DMA. He's he's also a lawyer, dude. He's uh, he's wild, but uh, yeah, man. Pandemic hit, came back to the Houston area and kind of ramped the podcast back up again. Um, I started it in like 2017, maybe when I was just a lowly undergrad. And I was like, I was like, uh, <laughs> I was like, what do I have to talk about? Nothing. Okay, cool. So I'm gonna start a podcast. And then I, uh, I went in and started it and just interviewed my friends. So like, if you guys listen to anything like episode one through 16, maybe it's all just us talking about like, what's going on in the McNeese percussion studio. It wasn't anything like anything valuable at all uh but then the pandemic hit and uh ramped it back up again started learning how to do virtual ones you know zoom wasn't really a thing yet i don't think and so i would just facetime people and then have them record their audio if they had an audio recording setup or or voice memo in an ipad or something like that and then i would record into my setup and so uh since then it's evolved a little bit uh i took Took a little bit of a hiatus when I started my job, but uh, trying to ramp it back up again. So here I am. Thanks for having me, by the way. It's it's good to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you on here. Kind of get to do this little episode swap kind of deal. So yeah, yeah. It's been it's Absolutely. been good to collaborate with other podcasters because like we had a couple. We've had like some other percussionists on here. We've had some other like educators. We got some we got some teachers coming up soon. More teacher kind of things. So it's really cool to get someone who also like does what we're doing. Yeah, yeah. A little bit longer too. Has a little more. It's uh, it's it's not easy. Like you got to get the guests, and you guys are doing it. You know, kind of as a group effort here. When it's just me, and it's hard to, you know, it's hard to get that going. Um, 
actually I had Casey on and the, the thing that I, you know, I was just talking to him, but, you know, kind of off, off recording, off camera and stuff like that. I was like, you know, like, how did you, how do we, how do we make this, um, more of a thing right because like at percussion and then there's another one called discussions of percussion i think they do pretty well but at percussion is you know we, how do you expand it beyond the audience right how do you get more people tuned in we talked a lot about that and casey is an innovator in many many different ways in our in our field but uh he was really good to talk to about this kind of stuff it's not easy man it's uh it's a niche market but at the end of the day, we all love it, and it, you'll you'll find we'll find a way is what I is what I think, which is what keeps me going at least. So, man, no, I love I love that. Thank you. Um, yeah, so just backtracking a little bit on that on just like a little more about you. When did you start? Like, how did you get your start in percussion? Like, what makes you want to talk more about like the rudimental style of percussion? Well, I mean. You know, I named it that and thinking that uh, I was going for a more generic approach with that. Um, I think amongst amongst like all podcasting, you have like, you know, your Mount Rushmore podcasting. You get, you know, you got Rogan, you got this, you got, you know, you got um, Corolla, you got Bill Simmons in the sports realm, Pat McAfee, all these guys. Uh, they just went with their name because, you know, they have they already had that built up behind them. Um, rudimental in, in our, in, in our field is something that we apply rudiments to everything. Right. And so I think that's where the kind of the misconception gets with mine is like, okay, well, yeah. I, and this will tie into my background, but yeah, you know, it's, it's all, it's all encompassing and I try to make it that way. Um, but my, my background does start in, and drum set and the rudimental stuff because i grew up in texas man texas is uh anybody from texas no my roommate okay. is but okay well uh marching band's a big deal here and uh it still is and it ever will be because it's competitive and everything's bigger in texas and you know it's a cliche but it's true um i uh i went into uh, i started playing drums when i was six so I walked in uh, on my sixth birthday from baseball practice and uh, dad, my dad, who's a guitar player, um, he's like, hey, got you something. And I was like, what is it? I walked in in my back room and uh, it was a cherry red Tama Rockstar. I'll never forget it. Like a little bit, a little bit older. It's a little bit deeper rack toms, a little bit deeper shells all around, but a metal snare drum. Uh, I think it was like a steel, just like a cheap like beginner snare drum whatever and i was hooked from then i taught myself um for years first two weeks you know you learn like boom god do do god boom god you learn back in black you learn you know you know rock out whatever and and so from that point all the way up until sixth grade which is about six years i was just playing you know uh just trying to figure stuff out trying to play fast all that good stuff and i walk in a beginner band i'm like oh there's a whole other side to this that we just have no idea about. Like I can't play to black back in black in here. I can't play to, uh, and, and attempt to play at rush songs in here. I got to learn how to play the snare drum. But even then I, I was hooked. Um, I had a really good teacher who wasn't a percussionist, but 
his name was Mr. Smith. He uh, he, I walked into that band hall and got my little beginner kit rolled in, and I was like, you know what, let's go. And so, uh, rolled that into, um, you know, from the from the very beginning, being hooked and everything. And I was a kid that wanted to learn and wanted to get better. And freshman year, I I walked into a what would now be considered a Texas six A, which is like forty five hundred kids on a campus, five thousand kids on a campus, even more so. Um, at the time we had like 350 to 400 people on our band program and our marching band. And, uh, so it was hard. It was hard to kind of like stand out in that. So I just sat back and watched and got better. And so my, my rudimental background and my, my drum set background, uh, kind of developed my hands, uh, in a way that I was very thankful for because whenever you're, whenever you're drumming and, and building those muscles up and we all know how, how much it hurts to build chops. But at the time we didn't know, we just thought that's what we were supposed to do. Um, and that, that, you know, growing, going to college in the South then was, you know, a lot of people marched drum corps. Um, a lot of people were, were heavy into the rhythm and all stuff. A lot of, a lot of drum set, not a lot of keyboard playing and not a lot of contemporary stuff, not a lot of multi, uh, but we all loved hand drums. We all loved, uh, Af- you know, African drum and dance. We loved steel band at McNeese. And it was the same case at UNLV. So, um, yeah, that's how I kind of got started. You know, the, there's a lot, there's a heavy rudimental uh, uh, base there, a, a heavy rudimental foundation that I just kind of have branched off and learned from it and, uh, and you know, got me to this point where I'm doing my own projects and, a lot of percussion ensemble, a lot of drum set, uh, taking on harder projects that, you know, or projects that, uh, pieces that have never been recorded, you know, doing that, doing that, that's interesting getting to work with composers and stuff like that. So, uh, I feel like I'm just getting started, you know, there's pandemic put a pause on things, but, um, hopefully that leads to more opportunities. We'll see. Yeah, definitely. I feel, I definitely feel like, the whole pandemic put a pause on things is like the huge, just like the biggest statement of everything right now. Cause like, Oh yeah. I know when I first was trying to get into like this percussion, I was in my undergrad when first, when everything first started happening, I was a junior in my undergrad and I was supposed to have my recital, like, I don't know, a few weeks later after everything started to shut down. Like, I think it was like two or three weeks away from like having a recital and like, Oh yeah, don't come back to school. Everything's shut down. The world is going to be gone for who knows how long. I ended up losing both of my recitals in undergrad, so I kind of just like lost the entire aspect of being a solo performer for a while. Right. And now I'm like in my master's for percussion with Casey over at James Madison, so it's really weird because I'm trying to do a little something this semester just to kind of get that experience of playing for more like, oh, this is my show, this is my time to do things, I guess. Right. You always get that kind of time in studio class too. Right. So it's, it's interesting, this kind of like, what kind of aspects of our musical journey has been kind of altered because of COVID and all that. Yep. So hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I, my, my time at UNLV was cut a little short. My, the world shut down nine days before my master's recital. And, uh, I hopped on a plane. Um, my, my girlfriend at the time was here. So I hopped on a plane. It was $40 to get on a plane the same day flight. And I saw how many people were in Las Vegas still. I said, I said, 
the world's about to shift. And so I packed two bags. I hopped on that plane and I got to Houston somehow. And I was there for three and a half months until I went back when they started booking flights again, packed all my stuff and came back here for good. So uh, I think everybody got a little bit taken away um, at the time. So there's a little bit of unfinished business for me when it comes to that degree. I, I finished it and I finished all the coursework and everything, but you know, you always had that feeling of like, ah, there's a, still a little bit left, you know, there's still a little bit left that I, I need to do. So working on something with that, but um, I don't know if DMA is in the cards quite yet, but I, I think I need a break still, but here we are. Yeah, I definitely don't plan on jumping right into a DMA after this master's degree is done. There's no way. I just need. There you go. I think I need more time. Yeah, time to just recuperate, and like time to kind of build a resume, try to find like some sort of teaching job. So I got a MUED undergrad, and diploma certificate. So like, I feel you on the whole like unfinished business because like my student teaching was also in the middle of the pandemic, so I teach like small lab band kind of classes and stuff. So it was really interesting to kind of see how that was together. I was in Loudoun County in Virginia, like one of the highest paid counties in the entire country. So it was a really wow. weird, like shift for me. I was like, I grew up in a little bit more of a, I don't want to say rural, but Winchester wasn't like super duper populated all the time. It's still like kind of smaller town. Like they have three high schools and stuff like that. Virginia? Is that? Yeah. Okay. But, yeah, I'm up in Virginia. I didn't mention that. Where Where are you guys from? Chicago. Ah. Chicago area. Chicago area. The greater Chicago area. Chi Town, as they call it. Yeah. That's a it was my it's my favorite city, dude. I love that city. I well, come it. visit us. Uh yeah. I'm I try to visit at least once a year because I, yeah. I have a I have one of my best friends in the world lives there and he's an aspiring actor. And uh, we got good yeah. food. Oh yeah. I had Portillos for the first time in december did you try their chocolate cake shake i did it's really good right like it's yeah it's (laughs) it's better than i could have ever imagined so there's that and then (laughs) i had the hot dogs there um but uh i was there mostly for the cake shake so yeah that cake shake it's so good they jam-packed that shake with so much cake that sometimes (laughs) doesn't even go through the straw it's really good so, yeah, okay. it's uh, it's <laughs> yeah, it's it was well worth the wait. I had watched YouTube videos on that on that shake. You guys have no idea. Oh I gosh. look in Texas, we eat good. All right, we got barbecue, and we got Whataburger. So if y'all are ever in Texas, come and I find me. Waterboard. I like me a good. <laughs> yeah, I just moved over to like Cookout Land. Like, so they just got a cookout in Winchester right when I leave. Yeah, <laughs> they're like trying to. Do, wait, like, I've heard of that. Like Hold on, burger. let me look this up. It's like it's just like a burger place. They have like a bunch of shakes and they have like dollar or something quesadillas. It's really good. Like good budget, good price. I'm but from yeah. North Carolina. It must be good. They got decent barbecue over there. Oh yeah. Kind of going back to like convincing you to come back to Chicago. Every now and then they have like a specialty, like limited edition cake shake. And I Wait, had like yeah, they had like this lemon cake, like this like some kind of lemon cake cake shake, amazing. And just like a few, like a like a week or two ago, I had a strawberry chocolate 
cake shake. And oh, it's just, mm, um, I'm allergic to strawberries, but it's a cake shake, of course. Hey, you risked it. You risked it, man. It's, you had to try it. It was way worth it. I got a large. It was. I really want. I'm really craving. After this podcast, I'm gonna go get a milkshake. Oh, yeah. there you go. <laughs> As you should. And where, where are you at right now? Right now? Oh, I am in practice room. I'm at Michigan right now. Uh, wow. University of Michigan, Ann Arbor. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Gould, do you know him? Oh, yeah. I love Gould. Uh, he's, uh, he's a UNLV alum. He's, oh, really? he, was Dean's, he was Dean's first grad assistant. Nice. Um, he may not remember me from Dean's 30th year. I was a GA when we had Dean's 30th year celebra- celebratory concert and Mike, he, uh, he was the MC. So, oh. yeah. So let me, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll tell him I said, hi, tell him. John yes, I, I will. Hi. I will. Tell him I was a GA at UNLV. He may remember me. He may not. He'll probably but remember. Yeah. He's amazing. We'll see. But yeah, he's, uh, he's great. He's, he's a character. He's all, he's into weird stuff, which I like, you know, he's I think so- he, didn't, wait, didn't he? Um, didn't he like deep freeze triangles or something like that? I don't know, but that that could be him. I wouldn't yeah. be. Surprised. He's really. We had a, actually a whole improvised um, percussion ensemble recital or concert, um, and nice. he led it, and it was it was so fun. It was like <laughs> the best ever. He's great. So you he know, goes, <laughs> he walks up to me. He walks up to me. Uh, we were it was he came in on like a thursday the next day he came at our studio class a bunch of alum, distinguished alumni did he comes up to me and he goes hey you want to learn about some weird shit and i'll go yeah dude for sure and he started playing de la Cruz one split between <laughs> kick snare hat oh yeah <laughs> he's so great he was awesome dude it was awesome yeah yeah come come through to michigan you can stay at my house in Chicago, but then afterward, come to Michigan. You know? Okay, fair enough. Yeah. It's really nice. Through. Yeah. I guess we both need Ann Arbor, to- right? Yeah. Yeah. It's five hours um, from Chicago, so you know, just make a round trip. It's cool. Are you Are you a football fan? No, sorry, but we're really good at football here. You should come yes. to a football game. That would be incredible. It's, it would be. It's so amazing. We have the best chance. Our marching band is amazing. Yeah, great it. marching band. Yeah, go blue. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Oh man, love love a good tangent. But yeah. Yeah. Um, just for your viewers, Josh, I don't know if you'd like to have anything about us, like I know, maybe starting with Sky, just talking a little bit about your experience growing up as a percussionist, Sky. Well, I was going to talk about one. I love listening to um everyone all percussionists have like a very unique uh, upbringing when it comes to like when when they picked up percussion and how they picked up percussion like oh like oh yeah violence like oh my dad was a musician i want to be a musician or like oh band thing but like you know you have people like josh i also like started got like my first drum set when i was like seven um it was a pearl forum and it was your classic five piece one and done everything good kit loved it looks pretty awesome um but when i got to the point that we started like beginner band i actually we had this weird rule they my district had a weird rule that like 
you couldn't do percussion unless you had piano experience, which I heard that was a trend some places, but uh, I don't, unfortunately, I was not able to do percussion. So I had to do trumpet and I didn't switch to percussion until my about like, well, sophomore year, I switched from playing mellophone in the marching band to drumline because I didn't want to be in the brass section anymore. Um, and so did that. Didn't make the snare line, which I wanted to do. Ended up on cymbals, started taking lessons. And I'm like, dang, I'm really good at this. A few months later, dang, I really love this. And I'm like, okay, I'm switching my primary instrument to percussion. Made it to my uh, the top, second top band. And then from there, went to college and percussionist finishing up. It's a good deal. I really love it. Um, Very nice. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's weird. Uh, I was having this conversation with, with Dean once, and um, I, I don't know if we, I can't remember. I have an episode with him on mine um, that you guys should check out because it's really it's really insightful and it gives you a, a a sneak peek into what guys of his generation did, and um, kind of like how easy we have it because he studied with Gary Cook in Arizona. Gary Cook, we all know Gary Cook wrote teaching percussion, pretty much the percussion education bible right but um you know he talks about his experience from niu uh back in the old you know with rich holly and and and, and guys like that and um you know it's interesting just to just to hear about like and think about what we go through to do this like we're willing to we're willing to uproot ourselves and displace ourselves thousands of miles away or a hundred miles away or five miles away and, and, and dedicate all this time and these long days, these long nights, these long practice hours um, and grow through our instrument. And then we're willing to completely just shift everything in our lives in order for us to get better at it. And that is one thing, one thing that fascinates me about this craft. And it fascinates me about anybody who deems himself a creative or an artist like what are what are we willing to do to be able to do it and that is one thing that you like i don't know i thought about that a lot in grad school i really did because at that point you're like refining things and then you're also coming up with how what is my own sound what is my own style what do i really like in this in this craft and it's uh it's just fascinating to me you know we got you usually you find people it's like you know i went to school with a lot of australians and a lot of australians are some first of all some of my favorite people on earth um just their personalities and the way they go about things but uh they're they're halfway around the world they're they're way far away but they're willing to go and do that you know, and they're willing to go into a completely new place where they know maybe one person, maybe two people that went before them and, and they're willing to go and do that. That is just something I think about a lot. I don't know about you guys, but I, I think about that kind of side of what we do quite a bit. Oh, no, I totally agree. Because um, like kind of going, going back to like when I started, like I had already like established myself, but like a lot of hours into being a trumpet player and realizing like how great percussion is how expansive and like for me i feel like percussion is 100 something that you could make your own 
like from your instruments to your sound to your technique um, to how how you do everything is all dependent on you um, which is why i liked it so much like trumpet trumpet looks like a trumpet sounds like a trumpet fine and making that switch that late in the game was extremely hard because um, because we did we talked about like imposter syndrome all, uh, a number of times and also the instrument itself is always a struggle because you always like you mentioned long practice hours we can't take our instrument home we have to go to a place so it's like get to school early stay late um me because you're talking about distance um I, I i like being as self-sufficient as i can with like my instruments so and i live about like an hour from my college but i look uh gracefully uh, i was able to bring my own instruments here and have like a split space to have them and but i went through the trouble of okay i'm going to go back to my home i'm going to grab my concert snare drum and my drum set uh and then go back bring my marimba and then something going back and forth and doing this and that getting out and this and that um and then from there assemble disassemble bring to gig take it back from gig like it's a very laborious instrument um like everything we do is just hard. So buying sticks, shopping for sticks, shipping, instruments, find, finding how to buy an instrument that you can't find anything about, um, going, teaching, performing, everything's just hard. But yeah, I agree. Like that, like saying that percussion is hard, be, being a musician's hard is an understatement. And oh. there's just words enough to explain how hard it is especially being percussionist well it teaches us that uh because like i think i think this i mean obviously this is on purpose but like my undergrad was was set up in a way like this is going to be the hardest thing you ever experienced professionally in your life and that's how it should be because when you get into the post stuff um you're like man i have because us percussionists we have to be organized otherwise we we don't get gigs and we don't have we don't get everything that we need to get done in different instruments and stuff like that that's why you see a lot of percussionists um who were once professors now in administration uh like lonnie my teacher now department chair of the entire school of music dr brian mason uh we all know brian mason from marching stuff and everything but he's a fantastic percussionist who was at moorhead state and now he's the director of school of music at Moorhead State. So you see a lot of a lot of these people and what we do kind of just kind of bump themselves up because we are timely, we are uh organized, because we have to be. If we're not, we, we gotta show up somewhere 45 minutes early to load in or set up, right? So uh it's just part of the gig. I say that to my students all the time, part of the gig. Sorry about it. If you don't want to go play flute, if you don't think, if you don't like it, so. Yeah, I definitely feel it. like I kind of left piano to go pursue percussion in this way. Like my whole background was, I think I, I started taking lessons when I was like seven to 17. I was getting like primed to be like a whole pianist for a while. I was really into it for a long time. And then like in middle school, I'm get, I try to join like the jazz band or whatever. Like I was really super into piano, like jazz piano for a long time, and just trying to get 
in was really hard because I auditioned and I didn't do too great. I remember like physically like breaking down and crying in front of the director and I was like 12 or 13 or whatever. So I was like, oh man, I was so bad. And I was like really upset with my audition. And that was like my first real like audition kind of thing. Right. So I was like, oh no, I'm so sorry. He's like, oh, it's fine. It's fine. He let me in on like bass keyboard or whatever for that first semester and like alternating with the other pianist. And then he's like, oh, well, if you're going to be in jazz band, we got to get you in percussion too. So how about you, or how, we got to get you in concert band too. So how about you join percussion? And then it just kind of went downhill from there. <laughs> downhill. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, yeah. So maybe you have the off chance of learning jazz vibes and then you can come play, come back and play it. In the, in the yeah, jazz band. But well, I mean, one of my dear friends who I've had on my podcast, uh, Dr. James Whiting, he, uh, he's one of those Australian folk I talked about. He's an incredible jazz vibraphonist, as well as Drew Tucker, who I've had on mine a couple times uh, at It's Not a Xylophone. Got to make sure I plug that. Sorry, oh, Drew. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Midwest, I hung out with him in Midwest. He's 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 dope. Um, the uh, jazz vibraphonists are a different breed, man. If you guys listening are listening, you guys are a different breed, and it's that you want to talk about niche. That is niche. Think about how many how many proficient jazz vibes players we have. That I'm sure we haven't heard of a lot of them, but we think we got Stefan Harris, we got Joe Locke, we got Drew, we got Nick Mancini. Uh, rest in peace, Dave Samuels. You know, Tony. Uh, say uh, what? Tony Maselli. Yep. Warren. And uh, up and coming James Whiting. Um, and so like that, I always think about that. I'm like, man, those guys, because all those guys know each other, and like they're all hanging out at conventions and stuff like that because it's they got this one tiny little this little niche market and where they're the dominant force. You know, <laughs> they're doing all the work. It's funny. Yeah, uh, Sue Lin. All right, okay. I was like thinking about this, like thinking about how you guys started percussion because I don't usually tell people like from the very, very beginning because um, I started off with piano, did that for a little bit. Um, and then when I was in first grade, my, I, my teacher was like, hey, do you want to start playing drums? And I was like, not really. He was like either like snare drum or piano. I was like, piano is so boring and I'm gonna be like every other Asian person like playing piano so I was like I want to be different and my mom was like oh well snare drum like drums like that's easy like well that's what we thought and then we got into percussion and it's crazy so I was in beginning band and the beginning band was just me so I was like the only person in it um and then in third grade my teacher gave me this like scholarship application thing to the percussion scholarship group which is in Chicago and I've talked about it too much maybe on this podcast and basically it's like a percussion group um for like inner city kids in Chicago and it's a free program and it's run by Doug Waddell and Cassie Dash she's at um the CSO or yeah she's under the percussion at the CSO and then Doug Waddell is at the Lyric Opera and so they ran it and I was in this group from third grade until I graduated high school and like I think so oh yeah talked about it a lot with Josh yes my girl um so yeah I think this group it was really good because it taught me it 
like I really relate to like having like the rudimental stuff I love rudimental snare drum I think it's super fun um I love to like you know I think I have I might not have as high chops as like marching band level but I think I have pretty good chops so I love doing that kind of stuff um and this program taught like all all of us like all about technique and stuff like that and so that was a really good thing about it and it was like very to me it was a little bit cutthroat um and kind of compared to like other musicians I guess or other percussionists in a way I feel like my growth was a little bit stunted because it's like I talk to other people and they're like I love percussion and like it's so fun and I love I don't know like Sky when you were talking about you just like love playing all the different instruments and like all that stuff too like I love percussion but I think I didn't realize that I liked it until I was like a junior in high school when I went to Interlochen with Keith Aleo and that was the first time that I was like music is so much more than just I don't know like your hands and stuff like that or just like rhythms or just like notes on a page it's like there's so much that you can explore and then like getting into college going to Michigan I was like I can do electronic music I can do like I don't know like I can be in the steel band I can do samba like all this other stuff so yeah and is I that think in Michigan uh what is interlocking yeah interlocking is in Michigan mm -hmm. it's okay, like a I've always it's like heard a of it summer but I, just, I, I never knew like where it was <laughs> yeah it's like a, it's an it's an arts camp it's like kind of far away in the far Michigan place or whatever um but yeah I guess like I didn't really have an appreciation for music until I was literally a junior in high school because I felt like I was stuck and I loved the percussion program because it taught me to have hands and like I could play advanced stuff and I'm good at sight reading and all that stuff on mallets but I think it also like kind of limited me to, and now I feel like I'm a free dove, kind of just exploring my options a little bit. So I think yeah. that's what I'm doing in college now, like trying to figure out like what makes me different compared to some other percussionists, like trying to find the thing that makes me unique because there are so many percussionists, but I'm just trying to find that special thing. Anyway, that's my story. That was a lot. Oh, you're good. Not as much as me. I yapped on mine. I just went off on a bunch of tangents. But that's that's interesting you say that because like I, I like I mentioned finding our sound, right? It's hard to mm -hmm. do that. It's really hard to do that. And uh I had a friend who's a fantastic gospel drum set player and he he needed some kind of way to find his sound as well. And we marched together at McNeese and the college band, you know, college band's really fun and everything, but we actually took it kind of serious. We took our development really serious. We had a lot of drum corps guys. I'm our drum corps, but I, I played vibraphone. So there's that. But um, I came back and, uh, you know, would go and, and we would try to develop our hands and our time and our feel as much as we could. And he, I think our sound just inevitably is there. We just are afraid to recognize it because um we think the experiences we've had is like what everybody else has done but in reality like i never did anything like interlocking i never did anything like that in texas it was you know uh, playing at church or playing you know like you know stuff like those musical musical experiences are uh, 
are unique to everybody. I think we do have our sound. It's just a matter of the day that us and our sound are like, we shake hands, we dap up, and we're like, all right, we are here. Let's try to let's try to figure this out. <laughs> you know, so I do a lot of organic conversation, by the way, on mine. So if you guys had an agenda, I'm sorry, but uh, yeah. I just kind of go with the flow. So I love it. Yeah. No, I really like that. It's a lot. Like, yeah, it does feel a lot better. It's like we kind of like to stick to an agenda to some extent. Like we like keep a couple of key question points mainly. And I'll probably leave with I, just one more question point uh, we had for you. What? So just kind of getting out of here. What's some, what are some struggles you faced growing up as a musician? Like just in general, I think mentioned, I think we talked about it a little bit, like just trying to find your own gigs and everything like that. And that whole yeah. Situation. I, I don't think I really experienced the struggle until I got to Lake Charles in Louisiana, it's a small town. Um, but a lot of good musicians there. Uh, a lot of Cajun influence, a lot of Cajun music, Zydeco um, stuff that you you really have to grow up in that to really understand how to play it, especially the drum set stuff. The drum set stuff is boot to boot to cat to boot. But I'm telling you guys, there's a feel to it that you just don't. It's kind of like playing a samba or boss. Samba, you listen to a samba line, right, from Brazil, and you're like, I, I, I don't, I don't know, I don't have that. I, I know right but white boy from houston texas there's just a feel that that is there that you really decide you have to go in to that culture and immerse yourself in it before you can actually understand it fully so i didn't really understand i didn't really have a struggle until i got to late charles where i was like okay i want to start playing gigs right um i wasn't as good of a drum set player as i thought i was because i ran into all these drum set players that were just amazing and they were all in the percussion studio or they were they were gigging and in in locally around town uh, a guy named trey newmiller plays with jerry diaz he's playing with a, a artist right now who's opening for the country artist cody johnson um he's he's like he's awesome he was a local um guys like that who i looked up to i looked up to the upperclassmen and and local guys like that and so the struggle came from um learning how to market myself in a small market. So small marketing in a small market is uh, one of those things where you got to play a lot of free gigs, like a lot. And I was playing cover gigs for like, dude, one time I played a gig and I got a call. It was a Wednesday. It was for a Saturday gig. I get a call and it's my buddy Chase, who's actually in my percussion group now, uh, Momentum. He calls me and he goes, uh, hey, there's this band from New Orleans coming in. Uh, they need a drummer. Wait, no, this is different. This is a different one. Okay. Same same guy calls me. He goes, hey, this is a same night gig. He goes, hey, the Gold Nugget Casino in Lake Charles, it has, uh, it has this this area in the middle of the casino floor called the the rush lounge it's where a lot of bands play they have a live setup and everything it's a cool bar and he calls me and goes hey i just got a call about covering for a band or filling in for a band that's a cover band for four hours and they're drunk they had to drop their drummer off in lafayette to get kidney dialysis emergency kidney dialysis and i go what <laughs> like you know and i was like 
okay, so what what do I need? He goes, can you be in the gold nugget in 20 minutes? I said, yeah, I mean, do they have a house kit? Like, what do they got here? Because otherwise I'm throwing gear in the car, you know what I'm saying? And he goes, he goes, yeah, they got a house kit. All you need, just bring kick pedal, throne, cymbals, snare. Okay, so all right, brought all that. I was like, wait, what kind of music? And then like he clicked, he hangs up and I go, let's find out, dude. Roll up to the gig. They're already there because they didn't, they couldn't find anybody until they found me. And I'm, it's like 30 minutes into the set and I'm getting set up while they're playing a song. And I sit down and I just start playing and played for four hours. And it was, uh, it was an adventure. That was one of my highest paid gigs, actually. But it took me a while to build up that rapport of that was like two years into me trying to just find gigs outside of school. And in Louisiana and Lake Charles in a small town, uh, it was different from UNLV. UNLV, we would play percussion gigs like we would play marimba band gigs or steel band gigs and we'd get paid for them. Undergrad in Lake Charles, we did not get paid for those. And it was it was all money that went to the studio, which we had no problem with because we all were learning how to gig and stuff. So the struggle really came from that and understanding like, hey, you know, uh, you're going to have to play some free stuff to get your name out there and you're going to have to play well. These are going to be your best playing gigs and your worst paying, wor- best playing, worst paying. And so it's, uh, and no matter what I got, dude, I said yes to everything. So it was, um, that was a struggle. And in Vegas, Vegas, uh, fortunately I met, met some great people, um, like Alex Stopa. You guys know Alex Stopa? Um, he arranged the uh, Pure Imagination marimba solo. Um, and then for Tap Space, he's also done like three scenes in the desert, um, Sequoia marimba duet. A really, really great composer and arranger. He's a he's an Australian, but lives has lived in Vegas for a while. He helped me out tremendously. People like that. Kirk Russman. Um, uh, who else? Uh, a lot of UNLV alum. Rachel Julian and and people like that so uh, it prepared me it prepared me that but that struggle that trying to get those gigs going getting my own market going that was that was tough i get ptsd from that so that sounds amazing like i don't know how you would do that that gig though like 20 minutes can you do this gig and then like i would be so stressed so i didn't know i mean some of these songs were very good very common but you still don't know the part right Right, you've always listened to these songs like uh, "Purple Rain" by Prince. Mm-hmm. Now I know it as "Boot Cat," boom, boom, cat. But I, dude, I was playing it completely wrong, you know, like because I was just trying to get through the gig. And I'm not, a, I wasn't a drum set major, so you know, like I don't know if any of you guys were, but uh, it's not like you know I studied drums and I'm all self-taught besides the lessons that I've taken from people and. Uh, so it's all by ear stuff and by feel and, and that going through that gig was just all like, look, I was locked into that bass drummer or bass player. I was like, you tell me what to do. And uh, I just listened to him. And, um, like I said, I said yes to everything. It's like, I played that gig till like 2am and the next morning I played a Catholic mass on timpani. Oh, wow. That's amazing. (laughs) <laughs> the timpani didn't like you know the tension was off and so like it would be like eh, eh. and then you're like i gotta hold your foot there there's no stool just grinding bro grinding so um oh yeah i had a really similar experience in like a 
music theater pit I used to work at. Like we had, we were doing Young Frankenstein with the guy who actually premiered it on Broadway, Patrick Brady. Mm. And like I was playing the percussion part for it, and it's like built in the circle, pretty much. That was like a kind of a square, circleish kind of shape. To it. the timpani were behind me, so I had to play like this the whole time. Like, oh man! I, had to, I couldn't look at the conductor the whole time, and the pedals kept breaking. So like during an intermission for like a show, I'd have to get like a Phillips head screwdriver and like fix the pedal so it would actually kind of still work. So yeah, like that crazy experience of that. Timpani are always yeah. fun to mess with. <laughs> oh yeah, they're they're a blast. <laughs> wow. I also had a similar experience. Uh, you know, like it was like the last minute drum set call. Um, so I was like one of two jazz drummers at at the on our campus at the time, and a friend of our college was like, hey, we have a jazz band doing a little performance. No rehearsals, like it's it's like in two days. Um, if you got anyone, call me. I'm like, okay, call them. Like literally the day before. And it's like, or they tell me like the day before, can you do this gig? Like, yeah, okay, here's the pieces we're playing. Okay, do you guys, do you got a roadmap, got any? Yeah, and then they didn't get back to me. I'm like, okay um all i knew is like they had a kit that's good I bring my own sticks bring my own symbols and my own snare drum good standard things and i got there I'm like wait you guys don't have a bass player it's just piano wait there's no you guys got no one in the front oh god because it was like full wind section a pianist and me <laughs> and i couldn't see the pianist because um I forgot. It was either because the piano lid was in the way um, or something was in the way or I just couldn't see. Regardless, I couldn't see like any cueing, like we're going to take it to the top or we're going to start or we didn't have enough time to do any of going through the pieces like, okay, uh, St. Thomas, let's go. Um, okay, let's, let's do it. Um, but yeah, rough, rough gigs. Jesus, I feel like you know, it's like the fight or flight response just like kicks in and it's like, you don't know what's going to happen, but then you just somehow like make it work and it like, you know, works out a little improv here if something doesn't go right. But yeah, it's uh, it's just a toss up at that point. It's like throwing, it's like throwing something against the wall and hopes it, hope it sticks, dude. And yeah. sometimes you get bad looks and you're just like, Hey, yeah. bro, you dropped your drummer off at dialysis an hour away. So whatever. Yeah. I, just like, I'm the best you got. Yeah. It's like, it, it's like good in a way though, too, because it like makes you trust yourself. Like, you know, you got yeah. it. So you just stick with your gut. Exactly. And if they're calling you like first up for that kind of thing, like 20 minutes in, you know, you're setting that town for a little bit. That oh, point. yeah. Yeah. And, and you would only because... The guy I mentioned, Trey Newmiller, he was first call, but he's out of town playing. He's on tour. Then the next call was Chase. He had already was playing. And then that then again, like how these casinos work, they they have a, a sub list and you make the sub list that way. Sometimes you save people, they won't forget, dude. And for anybody aspiring to live in a city like Las Vegas or New York or LA or Nashville, um, uh, those are the kind of moments that kind of define your reputation, right? And you just got to always stay prepared. That's why practice is important. 
staying prepared for any musical situation, right? And I'm no master by any means. It's just speaking from experience, right? Yeah, definitely. Well, Josh, it's been great having you on the show for today and like vice versa, us being on your show. Do you have any kind of closing thoughts you'd like to leave us with? Oh, man, just keep it going, dude. It's uh, It gets better. Like, it's not so... I remember being very, very nervous to be myself on these, right? And uh, it's just one of those things where you you kind of just got to – at the end of the day, it's just conversations, right? It's kind of like – at least that's the way, like, Rogan puts it and, and, and people like that. Like, there are some topics you need to cover, sure, with with individual guests and stuff. Doing a solo pod is – terrifying because it's just you and your thoughts it's like you're in the solitary confinement you got the straight jacket on you're just talking to yourself and so you're just like all right well i hope somebody listens and um when you get you know you guys seem like you all uh know each other actually i didn't i want to ask this how do you guys know each other oh so we facebook (laughs) facebook basically like (laughs) great place well sky and i met at the artifact percussion like summer virtual they had the summer virtual, it was like a, yeah right, summer right, virtual camp. right when um cool summer camp <laughs> there yeah. you go and then we met sue lynn because sue lynn won one of the like sue lynn won the scholarship for that oh yeah that i thing. did then we met like an artifact scholarship thing yeah then we knew then we had a mutual friend named taylor who we all just kind of ended up like chatting we had this big facebook group chat we'd hang out on, the, on sunday nights and just kind of talk yeah. to each other via zoom it was like university percussionists, like group okay. chat. Most, most of which came from that summer camp. It was like, oh, hey, it was like we were talking about something. At some, at some point, someone mentioned networking. Like, hey, y'all are cool. Let's be friends. Let's talk about it. Because we yeah. got nothing else to do in this pandemic. Um, so that all happened in between. Still going. Yeah, That's going. great, man. I, I didn't even like tie it all the, i was like wait a second how do they know each other because she's there he's there and he's over there so man you jmu guys bro i gotta stay away from y'all man y'all got y'all are everywhere uh, it's hard to stay away from y'all because i just I'm, man. yeah I'm, i met reese on accident <laughs> okay caleb pickering oh, I love he's a great dude great dude unlv alum so another fun fact just to throw in there like we've known each other for like what two ish years now yeah, and we had only just met each other in person at PASIC. Really? In last November. So, yeah, just throwing how, that up. How was PASIC? I, didn't I thought it was really good. It was a blast. That was my first. It's my okay. third. No. It was fun. Third. That would have been my second in Indy. I've gone to one before that, and that was when it was in San Antonio. And mm-hmm. I wish they would have it in San Antonio every year because it's not as cold. And it's a better convention center. My two cents. Nobody cares what I have to say. But didn't snow this um, year. Okay, well, it's just bitter cold. Indiana cold still. But, I don't think it was that bad either. It was pretty manageable. Uh, by right, you have to, I've only seen snow four times in my life. It was cold. It's not <laughs> As someone who's not from up there, it was cold. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I uh, yeah, snow. You remember the freeze that happened in Texas like last year? 
I was directly affected by that. Okay. <laughs> okay. Everybody yeah. was like, doesn't own plows or salt. Yeah. Um, I was like, God, this, I'm never moving up north ever. Like, this is terrible. Michigan is super cold right now. Um, I think we're going to have like a snowstorm and the university still didn't close it down, like the school down. So, like, they're like, no, nah, you're fine. Us. Yeah. They're <laughs> like, no, there's ice, there's snow. Like, People are going sledding outside on the music school. We have like a pond that froze over and people are bringing their ice skates, literally. So that's how cold it is. And that's how I would break my hands. Oh, yeah, I need to protect these little children. <laughs> I get my like, snowsuit on, like my snow pants, my coats, my boots. And I just like find the biggest like snow pile from like all the plows and sit on top of it on my... <laughs> And they get like, I think there's one on campus over there that's like, oh, like eight feet tall, pushing for ten. Um, mm-hmm. On top of my throne, don't bother me. Yeah, and Josh, have... I don't know. Ahead, oh wait, no, you go ahead. I was just saying you have a blast up there, pal. That's all you. <laughs> I was gonna say, like you know, if, since you've only seen snow four times, I don't know if anyone has told you this, but the yellow snow tastes really good. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The lemon flavored one? Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Lemon sometimes, if you're lucky, it's like banana or like a mystery. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've, had <laughs> I've had it before. <laughs> nice. It's, uh, I'll just put some barbecue sauce on it. it was <laughs> barbecue sauce. Oh, uh, uh, yeah, that sounds And that's great. how we end our episode. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Thanks for checking this out. Make sure you follow Rudimental Podcast as well. Make sure you support us on Patreon. We're all over the place. Shout out to our one, our patron Ellie. You're still, you're still rocking it. You're killing it. We you love roll, you. Ellie. Yeah. Uh, thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. I'll, uh, thank I'll be you. posting this one thank on my, uh, on my podcast as well for my listeners. Uh, try to help you guys out. So there's a, uh, yeah, you can follow me at Hartwell Drums. Um, www.hartwelldrums.com. Follow me at the Rudimental Pod on Instagram. It's where most of my my activity is uh i need to get need to be better at it but you know still follow me so yeah.